Welcome to episode 28 of Developer Melange, the podcast about developing software in the 21st century, directly from Vienna, Austria, or remotely from Vienna, Austria. Developer Melange brings you regular discussions about everything software development. You can find us online on developermelange.github.io and you can follow us on Twitter via at devmelange, that's dev, M-E-L-A-N-G-E. We are very keen on learning what you think about the show or the podcast itself. So please reach out for us on Twitter or leave your comments on our website. We appreciate all of your feedback. If you would like to pay for our drinks in future episodes, please contact us as well. And now, here are your hosts. I am Peter Kovler, the Code Cop. Obviously, I'm fanatic about clean code. My name is Christian Haas. I am a developer who embraces extreme programming. And today's guest is Sandra Pasik. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Peter. Hi, Christian. So, uh, Sandra is an Java developer uh, specialized in Java enterprise technologies. She's a speaker and she's organizer of the Softex Kamarua, so the software craftsmanship, software craftersship, uh, no communities. Uh, how do you call them, Sandra? Uh, we're calling craftsmanships community. Okay, so the software uh, craftsmanship. Oh, or like, or like, uh, like the German term Softwarekammer. Yeah, Ruhr. And uh, in our talk before the episode, you said that you have a strong focus on automation and that describes you best. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and uh, the last, yes. last session we just discussed about DevOps. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, based on automation. And, but we did not have any time to talk about all the cool tooling and stuff we could do uh, with the automation. So I would like to ask you, so now what's the mainstream tools uh, that we use nowadays that you see at your clients when you do your DevOps uh, consulting or automation help? So um, I think that, that that's uh, two separate questions. Um, when I look at uh, the, the, the hype and the mainstream, and when I look at the program of conferences, so everybody has to use um, has to use containers and, of course, Kubernetes or OpenShift. And when I see um, uh, from from my project, they are more classical infrastructure, but with um, a high level of automation. And uh, I see um, the first um, steps in the direction of Kubernetes because everybody is doing Kubernetes. Or it seems that everybody is doing Kubernetes. Maybe it's the right term on that. And yeah, and I see the troubles how the people have with Kubernetes and this whole stuff. Has it become too complex then when you say you see troubles? Yes. Um, um, the problems what I see is that um, um, the, the applications are not ready for running on Kubernetes uh, cluster. That means when your application has to run on a Kubernetes, so you have some requirements to the application. For example, for example, Kubernetes have some features like okay, when they see that the container are going um, go crazy, then he then he stopped the the container and restarted it. And that means for your application that the application has to um, to fit this restart uh, very uh, in a smooth way. 
So when um, when your application has problems with this, I, I like that, like it uh, say this cold restart, then uh, like killing a process, then you can have some problems with your application. Or another another point is when the Kubernetes um, see that your application um, are under pressure, so he will start automatically a new instance of your application. And that means your uh, implementation um, has to be ready that many instances of your code are, are running in a cluster. Of course, you can disable this function, so this feature of Kubernetes, but then I, I, I always ask the questions, why you want to use Kubernetes when you don't need these features? We don't want to have these features. And the next point is um, many teams try to uh, manage or um, maintain the Kubernetes cluster by itself and not in the cloud. Um, and then they have a very high uh, learning curve on that. And yeah. And then now we. Um, I see that they, they don't have um, have uh, many. They ha have to learn many many new things to to manage this Kubernetes cluster, and this is more operations um, stuff than development stuff. Okay, so then the second part. You said that the questions are actually two questions. The second part was that. Um, um, that uh, I think not many teams need this complexity of Kubernetes and or OpenShift. And it will be very fine when they run his, the application on normal virtual machines, maybe two virtual machines and, and the load balancing in the, in the front and to make it very simple setup. So if the if the Kubernetes is like a big hammer to <clears throat> to nail down some some problems, what would be smaller tools or more fine-grained tools then? Um, maybe um, I, I see project who who say okay we okay they want to run uh, in on a in a Docker container, that's fine. For example, for Node.js applications or um, PIP applications, and then they use then Docker Compose. To um, to start the container on the machines and on it needs no uh, no new la layer like um, Kubernetes that's is very uh, simple or maybe when you are running uh, Java applications um, in my opinion it's uh, sometimes um, um, you don't or not sometimes in, um, if you don't need this uh, scaling uh, features or something like that then you can uh, use your Fedja directly and not put it in a container. Because uh, when you look at the, um, at the definition of the container, then um, for me, a FedJar is a container too. So uh, I don't need, not really to put this, uh, this FedJar in a second container called Docker container or something, something like that. Because you rely on the isolation by JVM then, right? Then that's enough for you. Yeah, because, okay, uh, I, uh, I heard some arguments like, yeah, but when you have to, um, uh, you, run, you have to update your Java version, then it's easier when you have a Docker container. Yeah, that's true. But then I asked, what's about the Docker daemon? 
in, in some point in time you have to update your Docker daemon. So this is the reason to put the Docker daemon in another container to solve this problem. And um, it's the second um, argument what I give is we have um, some mechanism to run, for example, um, several Java versions on the same machine, like uh, to have a shell script and export um, for each um, application on the on the server held uh, own Java virtual machine. So, so that that um, in my opinion, there's not really reasons when you have a very simple setup that you put your Java application and container. But I know okay, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm alone with this opinion when you are looking on the projects. So that is common sense that you put everything in a container. The mm -hmm. crazy stuff what I, what I see is you have a WAR file that you put in a Tomcat and put this Tomcat in a Docker container. So. Which is running in a, in a virtual machine perhaps? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like how it's called, it's, it's this Russian uh, puppet. No, the Ru Russian dolls, yeah. Yeah. So why why is that crazy? Like, uh, can you explain that? Because I see that all everywhere. So what's the problem here? I mean, you um, when you have troubles in production, you have to now have knowledge about um, about about the Docker container, how Docker container works. Then you need knowledge about uh, Tomcat works. And in a special case, how it works in a container. And uh, then you need uh, knowledge about what, how you are, your application is working. Yes. So. So you have three, three layers. What you, um, at least three layers. What you have to understand. So uh, you're saying it's uh, because we are adding one additional layer of. Com complication to our application then and that's uh, that will bite us is that your concern uh, yes and then the next point is um, um, I uh, nobody could me explain which problems this um, this additional layer um, solve a technical problem solve is more than uh, it solves some communication problems uh, and I mean communication problems not on technical protocols. I mean communication uh, problems between humans. Well, it does solve communication problems, right? Because I can have my own Tomcat, and and and, and earlier other department was updating my Tomcat, so now I don't have to talk to them. So everything is good. No communication problems anymore. <laughs> Yeah, but then you said, yeah, but then you, I, I think you delay this communication or you, um, um, you put this communication problem to the future when you have some production pr pr troubles, yes. <laughs> then, yeah, then but you, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm just making fun of you. I really yeah, I like know, your I question. Know, I know, I know, uh, I have, I, this is a reason why I love because I, I heard this, uh, this, uh, arguments too and this is my my uh, my uh, my argument of why it's not really solving the communication problems it's only put this problems to the future and maybe okay. you you are, you, are, you can leave the project before this point oh, that's a good that's a good idea um, 
I and really it, like that you said, what's the, what is it solving? Like, what's the problem this is solving? What's the non-functional requirement, for example, this is solving? Because in Tomcat, we also have isolation. So, like, yes, glass course, are isolated, and then uh, the JVMs are isolated, and and uh, we could have the security manager, and we have additional, like, it's uh, isolated. The only thing that we don't have is CPU isolation. Yes, and but, but what I what I say um, in my project, they don't use this feature. So, yeah. So, and okay, and now um, uh, some people know me. They say, "Senor, we have often problems with containers. You don't like this technology." And it's, I, I, I think this is the container technology is a good solution. For example, for Node.js or PRP applications because they don't have this. Um, this concept of dependency management, they, they don't have this uh, concept of dependency management like we have it in the Java world. So for there was a very problem that when they want to run two um, Node.js applications with a different um, libraries versions, they have very, very big problems on the machines, yeah? So the container technology is for them, the FedJar, what is called in, in Java world, yes? <laughs> Uh, you you mean for for those centrally stored dependencies? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Like for this, uh, I think that was big in C and C applications, right? Because if you're using system libraries that are just some SO files somewhere, so you mm. would not bring them. But in the Docker, you could bring them, right? So yes. That's I totally agree. So that's like a fat char for for things that don't have that. Does make any in, in this regard, I can again pitch Go, because in Go you have one big binary without any dependencies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that was probably the reason why they made it like that, because they're fed up with all dependencies and wrong dependencies and uh, upgrades and, and yeah. And now, what, then I have a question, and what is the reason or the argument to put the Go application in a container? That I don't know. I ha I haven't experienced so far a project that wanted to use Go, sadly, and so I wasn't even remotely in the situation where I would have to put Go into a container. So I, I, think can't, that's, I don't say that, that's the standard, right? Because Go is the language of uh, it's a, is it the DevOps language? A kind of it's a kind of the the language well, of of if, the services if, and. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, if if you look over to HashiCorp, the the company that provides tools like Vagrant, uh, yeah, this is their choice of languages. Yeah, the funny, but the funny thing is that Vagrant uh, was written the first version in Ruby, you know, or not? Oh, was it? Okay, I don't yeah. know. I didn't know. I think when I heard about first time about Vagrant, it was about uh, that it's written in Ruby. And you can see this uh, this root that because when you have this Vagrant try, it's a it's a Ruby syntax. Ah, okay. Because of the DSL nature, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yes, yes. I mean, if if you ask whether or not Go is in the DevOps uh, area, if well, Docker itself is written in Go now. Yeah, well, so. no, no. Yes, uh, the first version was only a wrapping over LXC. But when you but you're right when you look at at uh, Kubernetes and other uh, tooling around this area, it's all it's all is written in Go, like traffic or something like that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, I love Regrant. Um, this is the reason, because of Regrant, I uh, didn't understand the hype of uh, the containers. And because uh, one argument was to use containers was, oh, but you can build your test environment on your local machine. And I say, yeah, I'm doing this stuff since for three years with Regrant and VirtualBox. So um, at the first shoot, I didn't understand um, this hype of containers. And of course, uh, a container is, um, it's, um, is faster to set up as a, uh, as a, um, a virtual machine, of course. But uh, in some point, you need a really virtual machines a real uh, operation system, so Vagrant is, uh, um, is it's a great tool to set up that. And I think in the version 2 or something, they uh, introduce a wrapper on container, so then it's a very easy way um, to, to, to set up um, Docker container environment too with Vagrant. So it's, for me, it's a great tool. But uh, but I heard from others that say, hey, with Docker container, we don't need Vagrant anymore. So you are still happy about Vagrant, though the the, gener- the general uh, DevOps community doesn't need Vagrant anymore. Uh, yeah. As, um, okay. You can uh, when I look at in my area, yeah? maybe I'm living in a filter uh, bubble too, and my filter bubble there. Um, not, not so many people that use Vagrant. And when I put my Vagrant uh, stuff and uh, uh, I show the, the Vagrant stuff, then everybody's look at me, hey, but this is old, old school stuff. And I say, yeah, but it works. No, it's, it's, not, it's not new anymore. It's not hip anymore. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a new toy. It's mm. like uh, when you have... Um, yeah, it's like um, yeah, it's like when you have a Super Nintendo. Nobody, uh, when you are a kid and you have a Super Nintendo, nobody will say you have a cool cool kid. Yeah, you need a PlayStation. Well, what's the the, the current PlayStation Four, Three, Five, or so something like that? <laughs> okay, okay. So is so is the if Vagrant is is not so hip anymore or either way has been superseded so is it just containers now how, how are they then created by docker but itself yeah many people do use uh, docker compose for the local environment mm-hmm. and uh, or started the single container by its uh, own what i've seen on a local um in the java um testing um stuff uh, test containers um, uh, in Greece in, in a project where, where uh, the, the, the usage of test containers in Greece in a project what I'm, I'm in. That means that you have a Java library that uh, starts a container before before the test runs. And this is really cool stuff because you can start it, for example, in database testing uh, against your real database provider and you, you're not you don't have to use um, embedded databases anymore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well at least from from my experience I, I liked vagrant in my previous job where I was creating virtual machines on my Windows 
machine. So I didn't have Docker directly accessible. And there's still some time until WSL2 is available on a Windows machine where you can yeah. run Docker on a Windows machine. Yeah, okay. So I, um, <laughs> I'm a Linux user. So I don't have those problems, <laughs> but I, I can understand you. I can understand you. I'm happy for, for this scenario. Though. I'm now in my second company where the development machine is a Windows machine. So mm, that's the office machine. And then you have to develop something for a Linux machine. Yeah, but, but, but this, is, this is what I, I didn't understand or don't understand. Um, we are developing software for Linux server. We are using Linux tools. And there are companies that said we have to develop on Windows machines. So <laughs> I didn't understand this logic. <laughs> I guess the, the, the first factor is the how to how to send mails. And this is Outlook, the de facto standard. I don't know. I, so far, I have only worked in, in, in companies where it was Microsoft powered. So I, I also am in my own filter bubble. Though, sorry, I'm, I'm digressing now from, from the DevOps tools. <laughs> yeah, no problem. But it's... <laughs> It is related because you're still limited in terms of, well, if, even if you're in such a situation, what, what kind of tools can help you? Vagrant is one of which. Um, how about the, the others? The, how, what's, what's the current status of, the, of Chef versus Ansible, for instance? Is it still a race or is it an unfair race or comparison, perhaps? Um, I think new projects started with Ansible in my of course, in my Twitter bubble, um, many legacy code base on Puppet and Chef. Um, the uh, developers or the operations are talking about to migrate to Ansible. And very often I didn't understand the reason um, because it runs. Um, okay, of course, um, Puppet or Chef has another um, concept than Ansible. But when you set up this all and it works, um, I change my tooling from Puppet to Ansible because um, I have a reason for that. Because I'm a developer, so I don't have root access to the server from the operation side. And I have to um, do some automation stuff and I have only uh, SSH um, access to the server. And Ansible was a cool tool because he, it needs only uh, SSR access to the machine and don't have this concept like Puppet that you have a master slave that you have some install some agent with root rights on the on the machine. So for me, it was a great from the developer point of view it was a great tool to make some infrastructure as code stuff with Ansible. Okay, I just so, realized we we were making a, a minor mistake we didn't necessarily tell our listeners we are, which are not from who are not familiar with all these tools so what does ansible give you what does oh. in a nutshell what does ansible do okay it's a provisional tool um, that means that they have um, a, let's call it scripting language that you can um, uh, describe in the easy way how uh, uh, how to set up the, the server like Okay, I need some package like Java or OpenSSR or uh, Python or something like that, and that um, that you can um, put some files on the machine, some configure something, and so on. And um, Puppet and Chef are uh, on the same uh, family; uh, they do this, they they solve the, the same problems. 
And this was um, the first step to automate um, this, the, the infrastructure before containers comes up. Okay, so the, these tools you would um, use to sell, either way, so starting from zero, you take, let's say, Vagrant to create your machine, environment, whatever. Yes. Then you, you, you say you provision, I, you install some, some base packages that you expect on this machine using yes. one of these tools like Chef, uh, Ansible or whatnot. Yep. And, and then the, the pinnacle is then to start and fire up the Docker daemon and one in, within which you can then run various Docker images where, again, you're in a completely different area. You can, you can uh, provision your Docker images with Ansible too. But uh, but of course you can uh, say okay I don't want to use Docker uh, Docker daemon on on the machine I want to use uh, Samsung Tomcat and then you install Tomcat with Ansible or Puppet and then you can say um, write some Ansible script to deploy your WAR file on the machine too. And these provisioning tools themselves are they again Linux specific? Uh, yeah, the the roots are Linux systems. Um, then uh, Windows support comes comes too. I think Puppet was the first one that had Windows um, uh, support. And Ansible said at the beginning we uh, we don't support Windows, but um, with the version two they started to to um, to introduce some Windows support. And um, yeah, so. It's easier when you when you use this, the the tools on a Linux system. And does the does these do these provisioning tools uh, abstract the target machine in any way? So do I, do I or don't I have to consider it? That's a Linux machine. It's a Windows machine. And even under Linux, this is a Red Hat. This is a Arc Linux. What have you? Uh, Puppet. Um, I don't know how Chef uh, is doing, but I know. Puppet uh, tried to make some abstraction, and Ansible say, uh, "Okay, that's too complicated." So, and uh, sometimes you don't have a multi-environment um, uh, system. So, very often uh, you decided, "Okay, we use Debian-based system or Red Hat Debian system," and then you have you write your your Ansible script uh, in a Debian way or in a Red Hat way. The unifying factor is then, in let's say with Ansible, you have the Ansible way of configure, configuring whatever you want to have installed, yet still the flavor is still bound to whatever target yes. machine you have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and on the other side, Ansible um, comes up um, with OpenShift, I think, is popular too. There are many tools to install Kubernetes cluster that are based on Ansible scripts too. So maybe this is the reason why it's uh, more popular. And talking about the, uh, especially these provisioning tools, then do they also make it easy or at least available to test this in any way? That you're doing? Oh yeah, um, you can do infrastructure as code in a TD way, um, but the the cycle, the test-driven cycle, it's not so fast like you know it from from Go or from Java uh, perspective. But um, there are also tooling test frameworks for Ansible playbooks or for Puppet scripts, um, or, like you know it from the Java world or Go world. So you, for example, there's um, tooling like Server Spec or Test Infra or Goth. 
so if you can test if the um, the scripts configure your system in the right way. So in the beginning, it's, it feels like okay, I have to do double stuff because um, you describe the same thing in two ways, and one way in an Ansible way, and one test. But when you started to refactor the Ansible scripts, then you are happy when that you have some tests that say say to you, hey, you don't didn't change. Um, the structure of your configuration. How complex are these provisioning scripts then? Because now I'm thinking of tools for the tools. If Is it um, like you have some regular editor which has some syntax highlighting and that's good enough? Or do you have intelligent IDEs or, I don't know, provisioning script environments that can help you with more complex tasks like jump to a definition of what the, what the equivalent would be yeah. in such scripts? Um, I'm working uh, normally in a normal text editor because I try to have um, many uh, small scripts. But I know, but there are some plugins for IntelliJ, for example, what do you have the some comfort that you know from, from Java code that, to navigate to, to some structure, to roles, groups, and so on. That's, um, there, you have the same experience you can have the same experience what you know from from the um, go uh, or java world okay so right now we're at the, at the plugin stage there is not yet uh, uh, an ide so to speak that is either open sourced or even paid software that supports you can, in this provisioning yeah it's like uh, like the um, it's, it's open source um, but it's a plugin for your intellij like you um, install um, another plugins. Okay, right. Is it because that the this field is so new and so rapidly changing? Because barely we had Chef and Puppet through, and now it's Ansible, so that there is no no common uh, baseline. Um, maybe that is the reason. And then the second point is that the, that's a t uh, I think the second point is that the tooling is coming from the operations and. Um, and when I uh, look at uh, operation persons, how they um, write scripts, they have only a VI or a text editor. So they don't have this uh, big um, um, ideas that we, like we have in, uh, in the software development. But of course, well, this is only what I see in my, my filter, filter bubble. <laughs> okay, well, we're talking about the ideal world of a proper DevOps cultured team which have all the capabilities within one team, so they have the common tool set and everything. So, no, <laughs> idealistic. Yeah, and on the other side, there are some, uh, some other opinions. They say every, every developer should uh, use the tool that he, he likes. Yeah? So, for example, for Java world, when someone wants to use NetBeans, then it's okay. Then the tool is on the command line with Maven or Gradle. Yeah? So, when the build is green with Maven or Gradle, then... Uh, every developer can use the, um, the editor that he wants. Okay. So, okay, we, we had we had the, the course now from, from Kubernetes, Vagrant, and Ansible Chef. Um, is there any, any other tool of the trade for DevOps? Uh, yeah, maybe Terraform we should um, mention. Uh, okay, because this is, is um, it's a special, I, I, I call it a special provisional tool for the cloud. So um, when you 
start of uh, virtual machine in the cloud, you have um, whereas RP um, that you called to uh, to create this virtual machines, and Terraform is the first um, first try to make abstraction uh, of this REST RP from the different um, um, cloud provider. Of oh, course, so that you, it, it, so it's it, you, it's irrelevant whether you're talking against Google or Amazon. Yes, or yes, yes, yes. Ah, okay. You have cloud provider like Google, Azure, uh, or small one like Hesna Cloud, um, um, Amazon, the, the next big player. And um, they have, of course, different REST RPs or different ways how to, um, how to build up the, the, uh, the virtual machines in the cloud. And Terraform um, was, in my filter bubble, was the first try to make an abstraction and uh, to have a declaration language to describe uh, which kind of um, cloud infrastructure I, I need. But when you look deeper, that you will see that, um, of course, the, the scripts are looking different when you're writing it for, for Amazon Cloud or for, uh, for Google Cloud. So this is the reason why I say the first try. Okay, so this, um, this means like when, when you want to start in, in automating all your DevOps topics or machine provisioning setup topics, HashiCorp, the corporation that created Terraform and Vagrant and even Packer, which is also a tool that I use. Yes, yes. Um, then, then they are the first uh, go-to company, right? Uh, yeah, uh, I, you can you can say it so. Um, maybe as a Vagrant, you will use for your local stuff, and uh, uh, Packer maybe um, to build the virtual machines. Uh, maybe when, when you don't want to go to the cloud, maybe OpenStack will be um, a good uh, good tooling. That means um, that it's a it's a um, um, separate stack to build up um, a private cloud in your company or to manage the virtual machines. All right. So this this sounds like a nice uh, sightseeing tour of all the various tools for DevOps people, or at least automating your environment. So thank you for that, Sandra. Yeah, you're welcome. Oh, it's like a password journey, right? It's a <laughs> Yeah, so maybe we, we should do a new introduction to this podcast to so say, okay, um, write some bingo buzzwords. <laughs> no, I think it's it's uh, it's cool. Uh, now I see that the, the HashiCorp is maybe something to look out what, what all is there, kind of what do they have. Yeah, they have many other things like um, some alternatives so to Kubernetes. So with um, when you need only special features of Kubernetes, uh, then maybe um, the HashiCorp uh, stack it's, um, uh, fits more your requirements because you don't need this this whole complexity of Kubernetes. Because um, the HashiCorp stack it's built up uh, on the Unix philosophy, one tool for one task. Yes. So what would be the one tool to start off looking into? So the, min the most minimal in terms of I have, let's say, a Linux machine to develop on. What would, it, what would be the first one to make my day easier? 
Um, for the local environment, I would say uh, Vagrant. And um, and then um, and then we'll, uh, look at the uh, at, uh, direction of production. Maybe uh, HashiCorp uh, Fold uh, would be good to central your configuration management for your application. Mm -hmm. um, not not Fold, sorry, the console. Sorry. <laughs> what what was the, what for is the name? Console uh, for the central configuration management of your application. And uh, HashiCorp Fold is for um, for manage your um, application secrets from the point of the development. Mm, okay. Are you talking about Vault? Yes, and about console. Console. Okay, I can't find the console here, but I found the Vault. So that's okay. The Vault is for the configuration. Yeah, so it's. Secrets management, which means yes, your yes. settings, basically, right? Uh, yeah, sorry, I, is, I, I mix. Um, and, uh, and console is uh, networking in the cloud, service discovery. Uh, yes, but um, yes, it's one, one point, um, but you could... Yeah, okay, yes, of course, for service discovery, from configuration stuff like uh, where I can find my 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 um, my services that I use. Okay, so from this point, yeah, sorry. Uh, I was not not very clear on this point. Oh, but it's uh, amazing. So you're saying this is an alternative to everything? Or like to Docker then, basically? Or? Uh, no, or it's, it's, it's an alternative to Kubernetes. You can oh, put the your, Kubernetes, yeah. Yes, yes. You, you because it has the Docker inside, right? So it, it runs uh, Docker images, but on a different uh, infrastructure. Yes, yes. And um, and for console and forward, it's um, it's uh, the, um, your deployment artifact. The format of your deployment artifact um, is not important for console and 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 forward. So you can use a um, classical Tomcat application to, to use the stuff and so on. So the target doesn't have to be a Docker service, uh, like yes, Docker yes, yes. Uh, host. Okay. So um, I, um, I, I did a talk with my colleague uh, Niels about this topic. And we showed that um, um, when you have a legacy application, and your management comes up with, we have to do everything Kubernetes. Then we show with the HashiCorp stack how you can do it uh, step by step um, to introduce the new features. And um, when you find out that you need everything from, from the community stack, then it's easier to migrate um, after go the step by step um, um, guide um, to to migrate to Kubernetes because you have a possibility to um, to prepare your software application for this all whole features. Ah, because you can use it like incrementally. So you're yes, using yes. only yes. Vault or using only something, and then you're adding on top. And if you and when you use everything, you're kind of ready to use Kubernetes. Basically. Yes, yes. And okay, when you but, started uh -huh. with uh, uh, Kubernetes um, directly, you have to do a big bang migration, mm -hmm. and you know. Big bang migration didn't it's work. Big bang. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think it's this uh, Fowler quote that the only thing you're guaranteed with the big bang migration is the big bang. 
Yes, yes. Well done. Thank you, Sandra. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And <clears throat> so what um, community-wise in, in your Ruhrgebiet, how, what is happening for meetup-wise, for instance? So like yeah, second, second part of January then, maybe? Um, oh, no. In January, we will only have one meetup. It's, um, it's the um, live coding session from Georg to um, to find out um, how to create some green island in your uh, legacy brown free projects and um, yes and then in february we will have a workshop with stefan Zöner about how to automate uh, your software architecture decision so is this live coding like like a presentation thing yes also he has it means um, Georg um, will, will, I think he will have some slides, of course, but he will um, go very fast to, to, the, to the keyboard and show it in a live session. So finally, Sandra, do you have anything for yourself to advertise? Yeah, um, so when you need some help for DevOps uh, and maybe um, stuff and um, uh, and you don't want to follow the, the new shiny tools, then call me. <laughs> okay, great. We'll do. Okay, then. Thank you, Sandra, for being with us. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. And so this was another episode of Developer Melange, and see you in about two weeks. <laughs>